On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everyone? Welcome to There Can Only Be One, the podcast that puts together the all-star best of playlists of your favorite recording artists. And first of all, happy end of 2023 to everyone. Thank you for making this first year of There Can Only Be One so much fun to put together. We've had some amazingly fun episodes and I have listened to far more music than I think I have in a long, long time. So for that... I am ever grateful. So we're going to do something a little different to wrap up the year. And joining me on this episode for that very special episode and for that very special challenge that we have put out, the one and only Brian Colburn from My Weekly Mixtape. Brian, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, man? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having a very special episode. This sounds like the TV show half hour specials that get the little warning beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> and now on a very special episode of There Can Only Be One. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to put a warning with some of these albums, though. I'll say that. <laughs> I, I was about to say, and, and everything's like in slow-mo and black and white in the trailer. Exactly. Exactly. So here's what's going to happen. Normally, we go through the entire studio discography of an artist and we we have a number of albums to get through. And little inside baseball for this show, I've kind of put this little disclaimer saying that a, a band has to have at least five albums to qualify for the show. Because otherwise, it's going to be a really, really, really short show. But there are some artists out there and some bands that have only put out one album. So today... For the first time, we are doing volume one of one and done. So here's what's going to happen. You have five bands, one album each, one song from each. Now, in some cases, a live album has been released. Of course, as there can only be one rule state, we're not going to cover them. Brian, when we were talking about this, and I pitched the idea to you, how quickly were you like ready to jump on this? I don't think you finished asking the question because <laughs> I was immediately, I think my response wasn't even yes. It was just bands that were coming to my mind immediately. Like, oh, we got to talk about this one and this one and this one. I think you and I had a list of maybe 20 before we whittled it down. So, Well, I did say volume one for a reason, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But here's the thing. We're not going to tell you the artists that we're covering off the bat. We're going to let you, the listener, discover them as we go through. Rather than, you know, let it be a, a mystery. Let let the experience kind of happen for the moment. We are going to do them chronologically. So there is actually an order. And just to tease you a little bit, all of these albums could, I would say, be qualified as either a super group or a rebound group. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let that sink in for a second here as we go through. But we're going to start with April 14th, 1992, and the self-titled release from Arc 
Angels. Now, this band was formed by a couple of members from Double Trouble, that was Stevie Ray Vaughan's band, as well as Doyle Bramall and Charlie Sexton. This band was formed after the death of Stevie Ray Vaughan. The album hit number 127 on the Billboard charts. Coincidentally, this is one of those bands that had a live album that came out as well. They released the live album Living in a Dream in 2009, which was a live CD, and it also had a second disc on it that had three new songs, but we're just going to ignore that because it's a live album. But this album, I, I remember when this album came out, it was getting a ton of airplay. It certainly was. However, it wasn't top 40 airplay. The problem that this album faced was the fact that it was up against another Southern rock album in 1992, blues, Southern rock, hard rock, however you want to call it, that was taking over everywhere. And that was the Black Crows, Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. But Archangels, make no mistake about it, this is for all intents and purposes, a super group of epic proportions. You have Doyle, like you mentioned, who played with Eric Clapton and Roger Waters. Charlie Sexton was in Bob Dylan's band. Then you had Ian McLaughlin of Faces on keyboards, and then Chris Layton and Tommy Shannon from Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. This is a heavy-hitting band here. And the fact that this album didn't blow up actually stuns me it got airplay but to me this album should have been neck and neck with the black crows fighting for supremacy because the black crows were influenced by a lot of the members of this band there was definitely some love and admiration because the black crows are rooted in southern rock and let's just be honest some of these bands like double trouble were kind of the impetus for what became the Black Crows. And the fact that this album isn't in everyone's discography kind of shocks me. I mean, I remember like, you know, watching much music because that's, you know, that was my music education in the nineties. Right. And when the, the, the videos came out, you know, see what tomorrow brings uh, and living in a dream, living in a dream got played heavily on much music like they were right into it and you know it, it was it was you know when you had the black crows and when you had this and you had a lot of bands like cinderella and the choir boys that were putting out you know more bluesy southern more influenced rock and you know you're getting a lot of honky-tonk piano going on at the time this was really right in the pocket of what was coming out too yeah there was this kind of resurgence of the southern rock sound like i said Black Crows, Southern Harmony, probably being the the peak of it because of the popularity. I mean, that album this year has got the deluxe edition coming out, and I am so excited. I have it pre-ordered, and I'm waiting for it to show up on my doorstep because I can't wait to dive into the bonus disc of tracks that were recorded during that time. But make no mistake, other bands were dabbling in this, even from the hair band era. Because if you think about Poison's Native Tongue, that album has a lot of kind of a Southern rock tinge to it. And that's based on what Richie Kotzen brought to the sound with his style, which was a lot bluesier than CC DeVille. And I'm just going to put a pin in CC for now. <laughs> but the other thing too, is that this band 
minus Tommy Shannon, we're apparently playing shows in 2022. So maybe the door isn't closed on a second Archangels release. But for now, they have one studio album. So it's time to get down to business here. So Brian, what is your pick off of Archangels self-titled album? Well, you already actually said the song. I'm going with Living in the Dream. That riff is so awesome. I mean, you think about the opening to uh, Shake Your Money Maker by the Black Crows, Twice as Hard. There's a swagger to that song. Living in a Dream has that swagger. And that riff is just dirty. And that song just grabs your attention. And to me, I'm a sucker for album opening tracks. I've said that many and many a times throughout this show and my show. And this one to me is a statement of a song as if to say, if I was saying to somebody, this band should have been a lot bigger in my opinion, this would be the song that would be my example. A. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's hard not to think of them and think of this song. And the funny thing is I have occasionally referred to albums as being sandwiches or reverse sandwiches. If you will, sometimes when you have a sandwich, the good stuff is in the middle, right? For this one, it's almost like they took the meat and used the meat as the bread instead because the the beginning and the end of this album are absolutely killer. I mean, when you think about the four, the first four tracks off this album, Living in a Dream, Paradise Cafe, Sent by Angels, and Sweet Nadine, those are four songs that are absolutely killer. And then you get to the end where my pick is, because I'm going with Shape wow. I'm In, which is the second last song. Okay, okay. A, the piano on this song just absolutely carries it. And this is very much like that honky-tonk bar, turn it up loud, put the pedal down. There were a few songs, though, that made it hard to pick this one. Paradise Cafe and Too Many Ways to Fall, both were really, like, vying for the pick. But every time I think of this album, I think of Shape I'm In. And maybe because I'm getting older and it feels like my anthem at this point when you wake up and, you know, the muscles don't work like they're supposed to. But I'm still feel, I'm still doing pretty good for the Shape I'm In. And, and let's not forget here, this album is over an hour long. Just to your point that you said about kind of the meat being on the outside. Maybe it's only 12 songs, but it's over an hour in runtime. That kind of is par for the course for blues rock because sometimes they open it up and explore with jams a little bit. And this album was produced by little Steven from Bruce Springsteen fame and Sopranos. If you're here in Jersey, but little Steven had his finger on the pulse of what good music is. He still does. He always has had his finger on the pulse. That's why he's got that whole underground lock because he just has that ear and Producing this album, to me, you feel that because the songs, I feel like they could have just went with a double trouble sounding band, especially when you have Chris and Tommy as your backbone of the group. But this group sounds very unique and they're a sum of all of the parts of the different members of the super group. So to me... None of the songs on this album are bad, but I get what you're saying by a little bit of a dip. And I think the runtime is probably what gives that impression because sometimes less is more. 
And I think maybe if you trim this down to 10 tracks, it would be all killer, no filler. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, too, is that these songs are not necessarily short. I mean, not at all. Shape I'm In is actually the shortest song on this disc at four minutes and seven seconds. You know, so everything has has the room to breathe. But the nice thing is nothing really steps away to to, you know, embark in any kind of guitar solo wankery. Right. And that's probably, you know, one of the, the worries is that, yes, you have members of Double Trouble. You know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, obviously would allow himself the time to be able to solo like crazy because that's what he does. You know, aside mm-hmm. from putting together good songs, but the guitar work was definitely there. Here, the songs and the songwriting and the hooks really stood out as opposed to, the, you know, the instrumental mastery from a Stevie Ray Vaughan album. Right. And the other thing I want to throw in there. Uh, Paradise Cafe, Sweet Nadine, Always Believed in You, The Famous Jane, and Too Many Ways to Fall were all co-written by Tony O'Kay, which he does not play on the album, but he had a part in writing a lot of the songs on it. And that is something that, to me, brought a different flavor because you don't usually put Tony O'Kay into this blues rock sound. But if it works... It works. And in this case, it works. Yeah, him and him and Charlie Sexton wrote a lot of stuff together. And I think that's where that friendship kind of built into what the songs were included on this album. I know. I, I would love to see them put together a new album. Um, I think it'd be a breath of fresh air for you know, you know, hitting the airwaves. I honestly think people would respect it a lot more now. Because if you think about it, Chris Layton is out with Kenny Wayne Shepherd on tour. So he's always out doing that thing. Obviously, Tommy Shannon's busy. Charlie Sexton. Doyle's busy. Anytime Eric Clapton tours. When I saw Eric Clapton, he was on, on the on the stage with him. But I think that time has given this band a lot more respect because people realize the greatness that is infused throughout this group. Mm-hmm. But that being said, if a new album comes out, at least we've covered this one. And we will definitely cover you know that one somewhere down the road. But now we're going to move on to a very different kind of album. A band called Samantha 7. The band consists of, and you mentioned already, C.C. <laughs> DeVille from Poison on vocals. It also has Chris Barato on bass, Francis Ruiz on drums, and the late Ty Longley on rhythm guitar. This album was released in May of 2000 and... If you think you might have heard it before, the song I Want to Be Famous was the theme song to the Surreal Life Fame Games. Now, Brian, before we get into this, you, you've you got a bit of a connection. You, you have a, bit, a little inside story on this one. Yeah, I was lucky enough to catch Samantha 7 at the Birchill Nightclub. It's now it's a it's now a bunch of townhouses, but a, a great rock club that I went to a lot during high school and college. And I saw them in October of 2000 during their brief, and I want to say only, U.S. tour. I would say the place was maybe half-filled because people didn't put the connection with CC being in the group. And at the end of the night, he said, well, I don't normally sing this one. And CC, I don't know if you've ever heard him do interviews, but he kind of, I don't really want it. Like, he's got that, those kind of mannerisms when he's talking and he's kind of up on stage and he's got his rubbing his hands through his hair going, 
I need some help. So if you know the words to this next one, just come on up and sing with me. And he started the riff to talk dirty to me. And sure enough, I got up on stage within seconds <laughs> and along with maybe 50 other people. But I was one of the first ones up there, got closest to the mic and got to perform Talk Dirty to Me with a member of Poison and Poison being the first band I ever saw live. That kind of blew my mind. And after the show, I was wandering around going to my car and I saw CC back by his bus and he was cool enough to sign my copy of Samantha seven. So really awesome live band shame that they're not still doing stuff because poison doesn't tour all the time. They did the stadium tour a few years ago, but Brett goes out and does his own things. I wish Samantha seven would have did more because Samantha seven sound is very rooted in this kind of punk cheap trick power pop kind of style, which is different than poison. Unless you're pulling a song that CC sang with poison. Like I hate every bone in your body, with, but mine, which was on power to the people. And he also sang emperor's new clothes. And I think it's living in the now on Holly weird, but going back to, I hate every bone in your body, but mine, if you're familiar with that song, that to me sounds like a Samantha seven song that he just took to poison. I mean, when you first pitched this, this album to me, a, I had never actually heard, uh, you know, of this album. I had ne- I didn't know that CC DeVille had the Samantha seven project, but I think the first thing I said was, Oh, Hey, and, you know, the fact that, you know, I, I love that song. I hate every bone in your body, but mine, like, you know, if, if we were, if I was on the playlist wars episode for the poison episode, this song would have been in my 10 songs for sure. But I mean, mm-hmm. and listening to this album, it reminded me a lot of another album that came out in 2000. And that was the second album by Canadian band Zucker baby platinum again. Whereas their first album had a much more diverse kind of feel to it. The second album had a much more of that, you know, that late nineties alt rock kind of, boppy vibe to it this album definitely kind of fits into that groove and it was a fun listen to 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 get through um but now i have to ask off of this album off of your autographed album (laughs) what song did you pick i was really torn with this one because there are two songs to me that i love absolutely equally and that is the opening track framed And a few tracks later, Slave Laura. But in the end, I had to go with Slave Laura just because it's so damn catchy. The riff is powerful. And if you're comparing it to a song like I Hate Every Bone in Your Body But Mine by Poison, this is the closest thing you can get to that song by Samantha Seven. And again, they only toured once. I really wish if CeCe's listening to this, do another Samantha Seven album and tour Obviously, Ty Longley tragically passed away in the Great White Station fire in Rhode Island back in February 2003. But uh, even if it's in his honor, I would love to hear more from this band because to me, this album definitely warranted a sequel. I mean, I'll admit I was bopping along as I was listening to this. Like it hit a lot of that that late 90s vibe that I absolutely love. But I had to go a little bit further down the album because when I heard Hollywood and Vine, this mm. song is so much fun. And I will admit, I'm a sucker for riff teases. 
And the fact that they had that somewhere over the rainbow riff tease, you know, right near the end of the song, I was just like, oh, that's clever. That's clever. And I absolutely love it. And that's the thing. I was surprised that this album was so riff and hook heavy as opposed to CC soloing away on it. That's the thing that I don't think people realize about CC DeVille. Because a lot of times he is used as in like a mocking sense when people try to talk bad about the hairband era. The dude could play. I get it. At one point, Slash was eyed to be the guitarist in Poison. And you're talking two different styles of guitarist. I couldn't picture Slash playing in Poison just as much as I couldn't picture CC playing in Guns N' Roses. The manic energy that CC bought, brought to Poison is what I enjoy about poison so much and to me the samantha seven shows cc in a more refined role where he's concentrating on the riffs and not so much the guitar pyrotechnics and to me this shows over and over again song by song that the guy can write catchy infectious tunes and i'll say it i actually like his voice for this style i don't know if i like it in poison even though I like I Hate Every Bone in Your Body But Mine. However, I feel like that song, again, is a Samantha 7 song. If that was on the Samantha 7 album, I would have a three-way tie between that and the two I picked before going with Slave Laura. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if another album happens and we're getting more, you know, riff-happy kind of songs, if, if you like your songs, you know, not... You know, and same thing with Archangels, right? The fact that they weren't leaning on like long solos. I mean, this could have been guitar wankery and it wasn't. It was it was a very riffy, boppy, rocky album. And if you like that, you're going to like this. To me, if you're a fan of Cheap Trick with a little bit of flair, a little bit of pop punk and a lit a touch of glam, touch of glam. Samantha 7 is a great album to, to listen to. We now move on to 2002 and what could very easily be described as a supergroup. The group is called Slave to the System and their self-titled release album that was released in 2002 and re-released in February of 2006. The band consisted of Kelly Gray, who was playing guitar in Queensryche at the time, Scott Rockenfeld, who of course was the longtime drummer of Queensryche, Damon Johnson and Roman Glick from Brother Kane, and Scott Heard from the band Sweaty Nipples. The album, when it was released, did get a bit of airplay, especially when it was re-released in 2006. Stigmata was getting a lot of airplay and some chart attention, and they did tour on the album at the time, but we have not had a Slave to the System album since then. But the whole project came about shortly after the Q2K tour, and Kelly Gray was, was trying to figure out, well, what comes next? He called Scott. He said, why don't you listen to, to these guys? And this is kind of how that whole project came about. The The album is killer. And it came out, I think, around the same time, as I remember, as Michael Wilton's uh, Soulbender album. So it seemed like everyone in Queensryche was kind of getting their, their solo kicks on at the same time. Slave to the System is a killer album. It's a great album. However, I would give the warning to someone who hasn't heard, no pun intended when I say a warning, uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to anybody who's a massive Queensryche fan, you are not getting a Queensryche sounding album here. To me, there's hardly any prog elements throughout this album. This is a meat and potatoes, 
hard rock album that definitely leans more towards the Brother Kane sound. But there are little touches and little flourishes where you know who's behind that kit when, when we're talking about Scott. Oh, yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is when you think about how Q2K sounded and, you know, whether you like him, liked him as their guitarist or not, Kelly Gray did some good work when he was with Queensryche. Um, yes. You know, like that Q2K album was a lot more raw than you were expecting out of Queensryche at the time. And, of course, this is before Tribe came out and they started uh, writing again with Chris DeGarmo, not performing with him, but at least writing with him on that Tribe album. But this album... I remember when it came out, and I remember listening to, like, this is this is some good hard rock. And I like Brother Kane, too. Like, Brother Kane's a solid band. They are a great band. And to me, it's truly interesting that they weren't bigger. Because Brother Kane's first album did make a big splash, but then the other subsequent follow-ups didn't catch on, at least in the U.S., as much as I feel like they should have, especially given where the musical landscape was at the time. But this album is definitely a hard rock staple from 2002. But unfortunately, when a band only plays, I want to say it was a total of 20 shows total, maybe 21, and they only have the one album. They did release in 2008 a couple of follow-up singles that was on MySpace at the time, but that kind of push the album will fall into obscurity. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, and I think we're going to talk about this more throughout this episode, name recognition means a lot. And if you heard that Slave to the System was playing in one venue versus Brother Kane or Queensryche in the other venue, which venue is likely to sell more tickets on name recognition alone? To me, that is... The only downside to this band name. Oh, absolutely. To to this band as a whole. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I I, I can speak as a Queensryche fan, and you know I'm a Queensryche fan because I, I, yeah. I, I, I shoehorn that reference in every single chance I get, is that I was going to go out and I was going to find this CD because I'm a Queensryche fan fan uh i'm sure brother kane fans would do the same thing if they were you know looking for to expand their brother kane uh discography or at least the you know how many albums they can play and the thing is brother kane their songs stick i mean i remember you know when, when we were on episode 34 of of my weekly mixtape when we were talking about the ultimate 90s sophomore albums playlist i got to shoehorn in and fool shine on because that song really was or is to me brother kane oh by all means yeah but now off of slave to the system what did you go with well the band name is slave to the system the album name is slave to the system and my song choice is slave to the system because <laughs> they obviously like this name and it is kind of a common theme for how the band came together in their in their stories and interviews and stuff around that time. I got to go with the song dedicated to the band name, just like Bad Company had Bad Company on Bad Company. To me, the one that sticks out from this album is the band name, album name, and song name. One and the same. <laughs> this one was hard for me 
Because I remember like playing the absolute crap out of this. You know, Ruby Wednesday was a song that got played a lot. Stigmata got yes. played a lot. Disinfected got played a ton. But for me, Leaves is the standout track on this. All right. This is okay. such a, for lack of a better term, dirty, sexy song. Like this, this has got a ton of soul in it. And, you know, just the vocals and the, like the slow guitar on it. Like it's as if the song could smoke a cigarette all on its own. <laughs> it's a slow burn. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I remember like listening to this and if I remember correctly, Carrie heard it and she's like, this is a f- song. <laughs> it literally is. <laughs> Not what you think about when you mention Queensryche though. I mean, really? What? No, the warning doesn't do it for you. oh we've devolved it's all good (laughs) all right so now i am more of a i am more of a is there anybody listening kind of now (laughs) (laughs) oh god oh god the 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 references we're going to to come up with here by the way if (laughs) if you do like queensrake they are getting ready to head out on tour in 2024 and they're going to be doing all of the ep slave to the system album in its entirety (laughs) no (laughs) sorry (laughs) no 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 although scott rockefeller could put together slave to the system and get back out there it's not like he's doing much these days i'd love to see it i'm not gonna lie Absolutely. But now we're going to move on to another supergroup, Army of Anyone. The album was released November 14th, 2006, and consisted of Dean and Robert DeLeo of Stone Temple Pilots, Richard Patrick from Filter, and Ray Luzier, future corn drummer. The album was produced by Bob Ezrin. And if you're going to have anyone behind the scenes, that's a good name to have. The album yeah. hit number 56 on the Billboard 200. There were two singles off of this one. Goodbye peaked at number three on the U.S. mainstream rock chart. So this definitely got airplay. And this is not the first Dean and Robert DeLeo side project to actually see an album. Because I remember when we were talking about what albums to come up with, Talk Show was one of the albums that, that was tossed about. And then there's Army of Anyone. So when you take a look at these two um, before we even get to our song picks, talk show or army of anyone, which one would you spin first? For me personally, it would be army of anyone because I feel like Richard Patrick's voice in this role actually works really well behind on top of Dean and Robert's song structures that are put out on this album. To me, Richard Patrick could have been a contender for some Stone Temple Pilot stuff after I heard this album when when they got rid of Scott and then they went to Chester and then obviously on to Jeff Gutt, who I think is an amazing fit for Stone Temple Pilots. But to me, the music on Army of Anyone could very well have been a Stone Temple Pilots album. So when you're finding the right voice, you want it to fit the vibe of the DeLeo Brothers sound, but not make it sound so much like STP that you feel like you're ripping it off. And I feel like talk show, even though I don't think they sound vocally on that album the same as Scott did, that album got a ton of, why isn't this a Stone Temple Pilots album? 
And back at the height of Stone Temple Pilots' popularity in the 90s, that album wasn't really accepted as such. Army of Anyone came at a time where music, the structure of music, the bands that were popular was going through a sea of change at this point. And new metal was starting to die down and you were starting to get these groups like Hinder and Nickelback taking over the airwaves, which was a little bit of a throwback, no frills, meat and potato, hard rock sound. And Army of Anyone's music then fit right in with that. However, Richard's voice, Richard Patrick, when you listen to Filter stuff, it's it's used differently than he did on Army of Anyone. And to me, I felt like this group was a perfect fit musically, even when they went out on the Family Values tour. I am kind of shocked they didn't do more. I know they're still friends and there's always talks of them doing something more, but this album was solid. And I get it. You got Army of Anyone in one venue, and then you've got Filter and Stone Temple Pilots in another venue. Where are people gonna go i get it but man filter and stone temple pilots should tour together and have the encore be an army of anyone set because i I just i love this album the interesting thing is you know wyland's out of the band at the time why not just have it be stone temple pilots it's you know squeezing in my queensrick references here again it's kind of like when you know, just as the split between the band and Jeff Tate was happening, the band did that one-off or two-off show. I guess they did two nights or I can't remember. It was either one or two nights with Todd Latour and called themselves Rising West. You know, there was almost like no commitment at that point. I think it was just kind of like a feeling out to see how it was going to go. And if it didn't work out well, then Rising West never exists again. But it worked out and now we have the Queensryche that we have now. I think with this one, though, is that had they come out as Stone Temple Pilots, I'd be curious what the reception would be. Because, I mean, we've seen them. Of course, there was the release with Chester Bennington. uh, And now they've got their new singer, Jeff Gott. And it's it's accepted. I mean, I've seen Stone Temple Pilots with both Chester and Jeff. And both entities were great. I've seen them only with Scott and with Jeff. And unfortunately, I never saw the tour with Chester. I wish I did. I think all three singers fit the vibe. I don't know if I could hear Richard Patrick singing the older Stone Temple Pilots songs. I'm not 100% sure. Whereas, because Richard Patrick to me has a very distinct voice. And I don't know if he could pull off some of the subtle nuances that Scott was so famous for. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Well, I mean, I can also see the want to, because if you call the Stone Temple Pilots, then you're kind of beholden to playing the entire Stone Temple Pilots catalog. But if it's a different band, then yeah, you can sprinkle some STP into the set list. You can sprinkle some, sprinkle some filter. You could even throw in some David Lee Roth if you wanted to, because that's who Ray Luzier was uh, drumming for at the time. Mm-hmm. I will say, listening to this album, it made me wonder what an album would sound like if you had had the same group together, but instead of Richard Patrick on vocals, you had Christopher Hall from Stabbing Westward. Ooh. 
That would be very interesting, actually. Because I think Richard Patrick and Christopher Hall do have a a similar style in the way they in the, the way they sing. And yes, Stabbing Westwood is back together and out and touring now, and they're on my bucket list. So whenever you know if they ever get to Toronto, trust me when I say I'm going to go see them. Um, but it does make me wonder what he would have added to that kind of mix. That's very interesting, actually. Now that you mentioned it, I, <laughs> I'm kind of picturing that sound. Now, Army of Anyone, I want to say it was just Richard Patrick, but Flyleaf on the Family Values CD that came out, the one with the dollar bill on the cover, they do a cover, Flyleaf, with Richard Patrick of Pride in the Name of Love by U2 that absolutely slays. Lacey's voice and Richard Patrick's voice together are amazing. It's such a great cover. If people haven't heard that, I highly recommend listening to it. But God, you know, and, and you know, no disrespect to talk show because that was a great album. I just feel like these were palate cleansers for the DeLeo brothers and they needed a break from the STP world. But then at some point they realized they're never going to get a break from it because they're always going to be known as that because that is their biggest contribution to music, at least in terms of hit singles and stuff. Mm. So I would love to see, to see, to be perfectly blunt at this point, some talk show and army of anyone songs rolled into the Stone Temple Pilots set because I think Jeff Gutt would do a great job on songs from either one of those albums. Oh, absolutely. And just to jump on to something that you said, it should be you know pointed out and written in stone that you put Lacey Sturm on anything and it's going to sound good. Oh, God, she's incredible. She's oh, yeah. incredible. If you, if you listen to the duet she did with uh, Breaking Benjamin on their re-release of Dear Agony, it, it yep. made that song so much better. Yeah, and I, I, she just put out a new album that is blazing. I mean, she reformed, or I won't say she reformed, she rejoined Flyleaf for some shows. I would love to see her do both because I think, I, I love Flyleaf. I think she's an incredible singer and I like what she brings to them. I feel like even on her solo album, she still has that same power and punch, but there's something about the Flyleaf albums that just hit different with her, with her vocals there. Oh, absolutely. But now off of the self-titled army of anyone album, what did you go with? I got to go with the song that introduced me to them. Cause the first time I heard it on the radio, I literally, it stopped me dead in my tracks and I'm like, what is this? And when they were done, they're like, that was Goodbye by Army of Anyone featuring Richard Patrick of Filter and Dean and Robert DeLeo of Stone Temple Pilots. I had to get the CD. It had to be part of my collection. I was like, dude, this is amazing. And to me, Goodbye, even though it was the single from the album and charted well, I just love that song. And this is the one that I would love to hear Jeff Gutt sing because I think he would knock it out of the park. Oh, I mean... Goodbye, when I was listening to it and that that opening groove on it, I'm like, this is the song. This is absolutely the song. It didn't end up being the song. <laughs> because it was their other single, Father Figure, that, yeah. that really mm-hmm. stood out. Like, here's a song. Like, with Goodbye, it's a good song, but I find it 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 not 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 lost the groove midway through but it stepped away from the groove that really hit me father figure all the way through that riff kills 
I I agree with that. I will say with goodbye, I think they were kind of in experimentation mode mm-hmm. on this album, trying new things. And I think the changes in goodbye were startling enough to make it actually more interesting and enticing to me way back when in 2006 when I first heard it. Because you don't want to listen to it and go, oh, I've already got that on my Stone Temple Pilots albums. So they were putting out their signature sound, but then playing with it a little bit to give it a uniqueness. And I think that's why it sticks out to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were times when I was listening to some of the slower stuff and I'm like, this is feeling a bit, a little bit like that, uh, take a picture filter era kind of songs. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think with Father, I mean, for me, Father Figure is the song that really showcased the perfect level for Richard Patrick's vocals with those riffs. There were some songs where I, it, it didn't hit with me, the, the vocals mixing with the rest, but with both of those, spot on. Yeah. Yeah. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. We now get to our final album. And this one I'd like to, you could call it a rebound group. Because you are dealing with Ben Moody, John LeCompte, and Rocky Gray, X of Evanescence, Bassist Marty O'Brien and American Idol contestant Carly Smithson. The band is called We Are the Fallen and the album is Tear the World Down. The album was released in May 11th, 2010. The album hit number 33 on the Billboard 200, number 12 on the U.S. rock charts, and number 6 on the hard rock charts. Now, this one was interesting because obviously um, Evanescence went through a lot of changes in those days. Ben Moody had left with, you know, after creative differences with Amy Lee, uh, when John and Rocky left, Ben started calling them. Carly Smithson was actually on tour in 2008 with the American Idol tour. And the song that she was doing on that tour was bring me to life. And apparently people were like calling Ben saying, you need to hear her do this song. This might be the singer you're looking for. Um, absolutely. It was a great combination. Look, let's just be honest. Fallen by Evanescence, which is celebrating an anniversary this year, is very much the brainchild of Amy Lee's voice and Ben Moody because John and Rocky were not part of the band for the recording of the album. So when people say, oh, we are the Fallen sound like Evanescence, yes, because Ben Moody was the brainchild behind a lot of the heavier music on Fallen by Evanescence. And it was Amy Lee's vocals that gave it that dynamic that made Fallen such a popular album. Carly Smithson sings that 
material from Fallen extremely well. I remember seeing her do it on American Idol. The problem is with this album, too many people were comparing it to Evanescence and it was creating this, is it a ripoff? No, it's not a ripoff. It's one of the people from Evanescence with two of the other band members from Evanescence with a different lead singer who on who fortunately or unfortunately has a very similar vocal delivery as Amy Lee. She's not copying Amy Lee in any way. She's it's not a copycat because she has her own nuances in her voice that are different. But the vibe of her voice, the tonality is very similar. So I could see where people say tear the world down sounds like fallen. And to me, that was okay because the Evanescence albums that followed without Ben Moody took the music in a different direction. And I feel like if you were truly a fan of Evanescence's debut, Tear the World Down is a nice follow-up from one part of that brainchild. Oh, and the thing is, too, when you take a look at you know the post-Fallen albums, to me... And I, I don't think I'm being sacrilegious when I say this. Tear the World Down is a better album than The Open Door. Now, I will say that Evanescence's self-titled album absolutely slays and may, as a whole, be better than Fallen, even if it wasn't as big as Fallen. And Evanescence, you know, doesn't have to, you know, seek anyone's approval. But I will say that they have killed it on recent albums. We Are the Fallen actually had plans to do more albums, including even uh, an EP of of covers. There's a video out there because they had filmed a DVD and they were ready to put it out. And it's actually on YouTube. If you can see some of the videos of them doing a cover of Separate Ways from Journey. Holy crap. Band sounds great on that. And they were supposed to get back together and do some stuff. I want to say in the last couple of years, but there was some COVID related issues that stopped that. I'd like to hear more music from We Are the Fallen. I think, I mean, look, look, let's be honest. I would love to hear Ben and Amy Lee back together, but that's never happening. I, I just, I don't see any universe where that happens. And to me, having Evanescence be where it is now because their last album was very, was probably one of my favorites since Fallen. And especially the, the covers that they threw on at the end, Amy's version of Cruel Summer is just hauntingly beautiful. Uh, but I feel like Carly Smithson brings this youthful energy that was a, was on Fallen that I don't know if Amy Lee wants to even bother with anymore. So I feel like there's a place where both of these bands should exist at the same time. I just don't know where this band is to actually move forward and do a follow-up. I would love to hear it. I mean, you think, too, some of the bands that are coming out of, of Europe now, you think bands like Within Temptation and mm-hmm. Beyond the Black and, you know, to an extent, Visions of Atlantis. We Are the Fallen would easily slot into any of that. And I think it was actually the Shiprock 2022 cruise that they were supposed to do. And then there was that mandate that everyone had to be uh, double vaccinated or, you know, revaccinated kind of thing. And they just didn't have the time to be able to get the vaccination. So they couldn't do it. Um, But yeah, I think there is still room for we are the fallen, especially on the, the European festival circuit. That even in the U.S., if you have bands like Hailstorm and 
the pretty reckless out there, I could see we are the fall and touring with either one of those groups because this is a style that I am so happy to see where there's more powerful female vocalists out there in the rock world that need to be heard. And I think Carly is amazing as a front woman and as a singer. I just think the only problem they have is because of the internet and people interneting. They're always going to be compared to Evanescence, but Ben was a part of that original sound. So of course there's going to be that comparison. Why should Ben stop writing his style? Because that you think about what differs from Fallen to Evanescence self-titled, I'll tell you in two words, it's Ben Moody. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but let's be honest, we're also talking about a world where, you know, John Fogarty was sued for sounding like himself. So, you know, the, there you that. have it. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> Ben Moody, I mean, like even the stuff that he did with Anastasia, the, the single that mm-hmm. he did for the Fantastic Four soundtrack. I mean, he's a phenomenal songwriter and guitarist. So, but I will say this, and you touched on something and... It's actually been something that's been floating in my head for a while. So I'm, I'm going to put this out into the world and see if we can manifest this into happening. You remember the original Lilith Fair tour that was put together by Sarah McLaughlin. Of and yes. had a number of wonderful artists performing on that tour. When you think of some of the bands that are out there right now, and you mentioned some of them, Hailstorm, The Pretty Reckless, Spirit Box, um, The Interrupters, we are the fallen if they if they were to fully get back together. Beyond the black, within temptation, there there are so many good female fronted bands and all female bands. A hard rock version of Lilith Fair, and you don't have to call it Lilith Fair, but a hard rock version of a tour like that or a festival like that would be so good. I completely agree. I mean, there is definitely a place in the marketplace for a female fronted rock festival. Now I know Hailstorm has toured with the pretty reckless and with Evanescence, but make it bigger, make it more grandiose, bring a lot of these young up and coming bands or bands from the UK that haven't really broken here in the U S and give them a chance. Spirit box is getting a lot of push around festivals and with bands but don't forget groups like eva under fire mm-hmm. who is as now right now touring with bush and they've done a bunch of shows to me they're up and coming and they should be on this list as well there are so many fantastic female fronted rock bands that god yeah i'm in on that you and i need to make this happen let's start making some calls man oh absolutely and the thing is like i remember with with lilith fair you know Everyone came out for like that that last song, that that last moment. You don't normally get that at festivals. With Little Fair, you had everyone join in on on a kind of like how they did with the Big Four tour, and everyone kind of getting yep. up on stage. That moment, and you were so right too about some of the 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 newer artists or the the unsigned artists. Like I remember, uh, if I remember correctly, when Little Fair was in Ottawa, they had local artist Tammy Raybould come on stage with you know and do a set. There's an opportunity for a festival like this or even a tour like this that would be able to showcase some of the talent that is coming up. And I will also throw on there, I would love to see both We Are the Fallen and Evanescence together because at the end of the day, it's all about the music. Put the differences aside. And how amazing would it be 
just from a fantasy football perspective, Jason, to have Ben Moody, Amy Lee, and Carly Smithson all together with John, with Rocky, with the current members of Evanescence on a cover song of choice where both bands got together in a show of unity around the music. I'd love to see it. Oh, the two of them doing the chain together would be phenomenal. Oh my God, it would be incredible. We're, we're just, I mean, I wonder if promoters actually listen to these shows because we're right now printing money for you people. Like, Yes, 100%. <laughs> and if it happens, dude, we need to throw this out there and be like, yo, we're calling this the uh, There Can Only Be One My Weekly Mixtape Tour. Mm-hmm. There Can Only Be One Mixtape. I love it. <laughs> but since there can only be one song off of this one, off of Tear the World Down, what did you go with? Man, this was tough. There's a lot of great content on this album, but I got to, again, go with this. I'm an, I'm a sucker for album openers. Bury Me Alive just slays. It made people's eyes open when I played this song for them back in 2010. They were like, what is this? Is Did Evanescence put out something new? And I said, kind of. And to me, this was the perfect song to make people understand the connection to the fallen album and we are the fallen the band. So I went with bury me alive. You know me and I've said it before. I love when rock has a bit of drama to it, you know, a bit, a bit more of a theatrical edge to it. So when you listen to St. John, mm-hmm. the song has such a wonderful, like almost macabre kind of style to it. And the thing is, if you find that video from the Cirque de Dame uh, performance and you've got people doing like you know circus type you know levitating hula hoop spinning going on behind them at the time it's a it's a it's a great addition to the vibe of saint john because that song it, it sounds like something you would hear in almost a horror movie if you will yeah yeah i could definitely hear that and actually i'm not gonna lie when i was going through this album reviewing it I kind of thought that that's where you would lean. I'm not, maybe we've done too many shows together, but I'm not shocked by that pick at all. It's going to come to the point where you and I start to have a list and say, I think he's going to go with this one, or I think he's going to go with this one. (laughs) And rather than, you know, just be the songs that we pick, just sit there and say, how close did we get to the pick? Right. (laughs) You and I normally, we, we, we get close to syncing up, but it's not often that we pick the same song. But it's always by like a fraction yeah. of closeness as to what we would have picked. It's sometimes it's the one that was almost the song, but it's 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 still in the mix. Okay, so for our listeners, let's go through the five albums and the songs that you picked for them. And now, off of these five albums and these five songs, if there can only be one song from these five albums, what's it gonna be? Well, from Archangel's self-titled album, I went with Living in a Dream. From Samantha Seven's album, I went with Slave Laura. From Slave to the System's self-titled album, I went with Slave to the System. From Army of Anyone's self-titled album, I went with Goodbye. And from We Are the Fallen's Tear the World Down, I went with Bury Me Alive. And for my only one pick, I'm going with Slave... Laura by Samantha Seven. <laughs> you had to tease it just a little bit more. Huh? I had two slave songs in there. It was perfect. Why wouldn't I do that? 
Also, Slave for You from Britney Spears is not being picked on this one. Oh, damn. Well, she had more than one album. We'll save that for the Britney Spears episode of There Can Only Be One. Oh, exactly. And for me, off of the Archangels album, I went with Shape I'm In. From Samantha Seven, I went with Hollywood and Vine. Off of Slave to the System, I went with Leaves. From Army of Anyone, I went with Father Figure. And from Tear the World Down by We Are the Fallen, I went with St. John. And I'm pretty sure you can kind of guess where I'm going with this one. Oh, I already know. <laughs> but even though despite I the, the huge Queensryche fan that I am, I'm going with St. John from We Are the Fallen. I just, as soon as you picked that song, I said that's going to be his only one, <laughs> even though I know your Queensryche fandom, but... Uh, that one, the, when you explained it, I'm like, that's his only one. It has to be. Yeah, I'm not very subtle. I'm subtle like a hammer. <laughs> All right, Brian, thank you so much for this. Now, before we go, before we wrap up 2023, I want you to let our listeners know where they can find you and my weekly mixtape. By all means, obviously on other episodes of There Can Only Be One, where you've been so generous to have me on uh, talking your ear off so many times. I'm so thankful for that. And if you want to check out my show, you can head over to myweeklymixtape.com or just search My Weekly Mixtape wherever you listen to podcasts. And on social media, it's usually at My Weekly Mixtape. I am the only one running the show. It's just me. You reach out, I'm there, let's talk music, let's talk tunes, uh, and I love the fact that you've been doing this with a music show for a year. Congratulations on an amazing 2023. Here's to much more in 2024, and I've already got my next like five or six appearances mapped out for you. Apologies in advance. <laughs> oh, no apologies needed whatsoever. Thank you so much, Brian. And to you, our listeners, thank you for an absolutely wonderful 2023. Now, if there is an artist that you want us to cover, you can hit us up on social media at only one cast or go to our website at notthatbadcast.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out all of our other shows, whether it be wherever you get your podcast on an audio streaming service or over on on YouTube. Until next time, or should I say, until 2024, this is There Can Only Be One, a member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm Jason. Take care. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. 
Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.